Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Friends, 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 what a week, amen? Oh my gosh, the Lord has been moving in powerful ways. Middle school side, high school side, the Lord Jesus has been showing up and moving hearts and transforming lives. It's just been amazing. Parents, the the testimonies that you heard right there, that's just the tip of the tip of the iceberg. So I can't wait for you to hear more. Friends, this whole week we've been looking at the amazing gift of Jesus present to us in the Eucharist. Like this is, if there is a reason to be Catholic, it's the Eucharist. Amen? Amen? The Eucharist was the supreme gift that Jesus intended to give humanity. Right? John chapter 6, Jesus comes to Capernaum. He's discussing, he's sharing the depths of his heart. He's been with his disciples. He's talking about how Moses gave them manna from heaven and they died. But the bread that I shall give you, eat of it. You will never die. Right? He's speaking of the fruit of the tree of life. We go all the way back to Genesis, we hear about God planting these two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of the tree of life. We were cut off from one of those trees, and Jesus always intended to feed us with the fruit of the tree of life. What do we say in the Hail Mary? Blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. The fruit that hangs from the tree of life, that's the tree of life. The cross, that's the paradox of the faith, right? Through death comes life, the grave becomes a womb. The tomb becomes a womb that the cross is turned into the tree of life. And Jesus in Capernaum, he tells his disciples, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And the crowd of like 6,000 people, they begin to murmur and grumble. They say, what is this guy talking about? And they begin to walk away. And Jesus turns to his friends his closest friends, his disciples, the apostles. And he looks at them and says, are you also gonna leave? In other words, like, if you don't get this, I'm gonna have to start all over because this is the gift. This is the gift. Friends, we've been looking at the Eucharist as the source and the? The source and the? All week long, Jesus, the source and the summit of our Catholic life, the Eucharist is the focal point It's the source because everything flows from it, and it's the summit because everything is heading towards it. Because here's the crazy thing, it's not an it. The Eucharist is not a what, it's a who. It's not a what, it's a who, it's a person. At the center of our faith, as as Christians, as Catholics, as disciples, the center of our faith is not an idea as it is for some other world religions. The center of our faith is not a creed, a set of ideas, a set of beliefs. The center of our faith is not an idea, not a set of ideas, but a person. The center of the faith is a beating heart, a beating heart. There's a heart that's at the center of the faith. It's a divine heart. The heart is not just simply the muscle that's in your chest that's pumping blood. In the Bible, the heart is the center of the person. It's the center, the seat of desire. It's the seat of love and emotion and passion. The center of our faith is a heart. It's a person. You know, this, so this coming weekend, we celebrate the solemnity of Corpus Christi, 
right? The solemnity, the most sacred body and blood of our Lord Jesus. It's a feast day that goes back to all the way to the 13th century, a Eucharistic miracle, one of the first Eucharistic miracles. There was a priest named Peter of Prague who was doubting the actual truth of the Catholic teaching that the bread and wine actually gets transformed into the body and blood of Jesus. He was carrying these doubts in his heart and he was celebrating Mass. And he elevates the host and he fractures it and all of a sudden it transforms into flesh. You know what Peter of Prague did? He freaked out. Like every single one of us would freak out. Okay, let's just be honest, right? We know, no one would handle the Eucharistic miracle very calmly, right? Fathers, right? Like, no. Like, I'd be like, ah! right? I would lose my ever-loving mind, right? Like, I'm very glad, to be honest, that Jesus doesn't actually do that every time that we celebrate Mass because I couldn't handle it, right? So he freaks out and he runs to the next town, Orvieto, where the Pope happened to be. And he tells the Pope, Holy Father, this is just what happened. The Holy Father turns to this new young Dominican friar. His name is Thomas Aquinas. Who's heard of Thomas Aquinas, right? Thomas Aquinas, right? And he says, I want you to look into this. And, and he does, and he verifies it as a real miracle. And Thomas Aquinas writes the Mass of Corpus Christi, where we get the hymns, Pange Lingua, where we get the Tantum Ergo, Adorote Devote, all these beautiful Catholic, they come from this Eucharistic miracle. And over the centuries, Jesus has punctuated history with all these other little Eucharistic miracles. Like in Buenos Aires, when Jorge Bergoglio, we know him better today as uh, Pope Francis, right? He got a new name, new job. Jorge Bergoglio, he was the, uh, the Archbishop of Buenos Aires, and one of his priests found this host on the back rail of his, of his church, that someone had taken it and set it down. And he, the father, the priest took it and he placed it in a little cup of water, put it in the tabernacle, was going to let it dissolve. Comes back the next day, it didn't dissolve, it was still there. But it was beginning to change and transform. Over the next couple days, half of the host, half of the bread, had turned into this bloody tissue. To be clear, that doesn't typically happen, right? Okay. It typically just dissolves. So he comes to Archbishop Bergoglio. He says, uh, uh, Bishop, this is what happened. And he sends it to two laboratories in the United States, independent of each other, not telling them what this sample is. He just says, I want you to investigate this. Tell me what it is. The laboratories come back at the same time giving the same result, that this tissue, whatever it is, it's human heart tissue. It's from the part of the heart that pumps blood out into the body. And they said that it has the sign of a man who was beaten severely in his chest right before he died. And then this was the part of the investigation that blew their minds. They couldn't understand. He said, it's still beating that the fibers under the microscope are still firing. Almost every one of those lab technicians and scientists, they converted the Catholic faith because the Eucharist is not a what, it's a who. It's a heart. It's a heart. There's a heart at the center of our faith. That Jesus holds nothing back. He holds nothing back. This is why in the gospel we hear Jesus speak so strenuously and almost scandalously to our modern ears about the whole issue of marriage, divorce, and all those things. And I speak with great reverence because I know every single person here in some way is touched by and affected by divorce. Jesus tells us, he says, in the beginning it was not so. I didn't intend for you to experience 
that sadness. I intended for you, he intended for us, the original plan was perfect love, perfect communion, perfect love and bliss in the Garden of Eden. That's what he wanted for us. He says, in the beginning it was not so. He made marriage. He says marriage matters so much because he made it to be a sign. You know, God speaks in sign language, right? He made marriage to be the most eloquent and perfect sign that reveals his relationship to humanity. It's like God is trying to say, okay, yeah, I love friendship with you. Yes, I want to be your best friend. Yeah, that's great, but like, I want more. Yeah, I want to share like sports with you and friends with you and school with you, but I, I, want, I want more closeness. I want more. So it's like God says, okay, the, the least inadequate way that I can express how much I want to be united to you it's like, it's, it's like marriage, which is why on the cross, the first Christians saw Good Friday not just simply as a murder, an execution. They saw Good Friday as a wedding because the bridegroom God, the God who is so passionately in love with humanity, the God who hung the stars in the sky because he wanted to have a universe, a stage upon which the drama of human and divine love could be played out, that passionate love in the heart of God goes to the cross, there's a madness. Is there not? Like there's a madness to God on the cross. It's sheer madness. Because at the heart of the faith is a person, a heart. It's a heart. And he gives that heart. He gives, this is my body given for you. This is my body given for you. This is why marriage matters, because it's a sign of what happens at every single mass. Raise your hand if you've been to a wedding before. At every single wedding, there's a groom who stands about here, the foot of the altar. And at every single wedding, there's a bride who often wears a veil, right? Who, a bride who walks down the aisle to meet the groom. And they do that because they intend to give the entirety of their lives to each other, right? Every single mass, Jesus, the divine bridegroom, waits for his bride, who is the church, to walk down the aisle to meet him in the Eucharist. Friends, this is, this is why St. John Paul II, who likes JP2? JP2 fans? Woo-woo! Okay. St. John Paul II referred to the Eucharist. Get this, the Eucharist as the sacrament of the bridegroom and the bride. Now, mind you, not, not matrimony, right, where we actually have a groom and a bride. That would seem obvious to me, right? Like, that's the sacrament of the bridegroom. No, no, he says the Eucharist is the sacrament of the bridegroom. It's the sacrament of the most exquisite, powerful, universe-altering, universe-creating love. It's the sacrament. It's the sign of God's love for us. This is my heart given for you. I'm holding nothing back. On the cross, the soldier pierces his heart and outflows blood and that water. You know where that water comes from? It comes from this fluid-filled sac called the pericardium that surrounds the heart. I have a friend who's a heart surgeon, a doctor, who told me one time that the pericardium, that fluid-filled sac, he says, it's the heart's, listen, get this, it's the heart's last line of defense. And Jesus is like, Break that down too. I'm opening everything. I'm pouring out everything. 
Friends, the Eucharist is the supreme gift because it's his heart. It's been so awesome this entire week. We've been meditating upon the source and summit. We've been meditating on this incredible gift. And now we're preparing to go home. And the thing is, home looks and feels quite different than CYSC. We have to start with, like, the honest truth. Like, mass for you back home probably doesn't look or feel like mass here. If you've got adoration at your parish, it probably doesn't look like or feel like adoration and worship here. The music ministry probably doesn't feel like the music ministry here. But you're working on it, right? Here, yeah, good. So does that mean that Jesus is any less present at home? Yes or no? no. Yes or no? no. Yes or no? no. The same Jesus who leaves heaven to come to the altar here, the same Jesus who is hidden in the monstrance that you adored all week long here, the same Jesus shows up on your altar back at your parish back home, even though it doesn't feel the same. This is why I so love the fact that in God's providence, he gave us this first reading to reflect on today for Mass. This reading of the book of Kings, Elijah, the, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, Elijah who comes to the mountain of God, Horeb, and God's going to make his presence pass before Elijah. And he's hiding in the cave. And all of a sudden it says there's a strong driving wind that rends the mountain. It's shaking them. How strong do you think a wind has to be to shake a mountain? Like, like if, just put yourself in the cave for a second. You're Elijah. There's a tornado ripping through the mountain. Okay. And what does he say? The Lord was not in the wind. Then comes, if, as if the tornado was enough, then comes an earthquake, right? So why not have an earthquake after a tornado? Then comes an earthquake. The ground is being shaken under Elijah's feet, rumbling through his whole body. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then, as if those two things weren't enough, then comes, who remembers? Fire. What? This is a really bad day for Elijah, right? He's, how about a tsunami? How about a tidal wave? Do we want to have a hurricane? Like, what are we doing here, Lord, right? Then comes a fire, right? But the Lord was not in the fire. And then it says, and then there was a, Still, small voice, or other translation says, a whispering sound. And Elijah hides his face. God was in the whisper, not in the loud stuff. God was in the small stuff, not the big stuff. This is so huge for you campers to realize as you're preparing to go home. Because all of this, right, the lights... The, the beauty, all, like all of this, right? The worship band, all of this big stuff. The, this is the fire. This is the tornado. This is the earthquake. All of this stuff. It's been, its whole purpose was to draw your attention down to the whispering voice. The tiny whispering voice. 
Friends, we have a God who is a whisperer because we have a God who is love. God whispers, listen, God whispers because he's love. God is not loving. Like sometimes I'm loving. No, God is love, which is why he whispers. That's why he is a whisper. At the moment of the Annunciation, Gabriel, through the power of the Holy Spirit, whispers the word into Mary's womb. The word made flesh is this little whispered secret that she carries in her womb. And then nine months later, Jesus lying in straw, a newborn baby, a tiny little nothing, a whisper, hiding in Bethlehem. Everyone else in Bethlehem overlooked the stable because it's easy to miss a whisper. Then he grows up in obscurity in Nazareth. He was your age, Jesus. The son of God was your age and your age and your age. He was just like you in all things except sin. A whisper, dying on the cross. God dying on the cross, again, a whisper. And at every single mass, he comes down and he hides himself. And let's be honest, he hides himself in crumbs. A little bit of bread, a little bit of wine, so easy to miss. Whisper. You know, if you're going to hear someone whispering, what do you got to do? You got to be quiet. You got to be still. And you got to come close. Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Does it mean like I'm here and God's way over there? No. God with us. And he's whispering. Friends, when you go home, the enemy's going to be shouting, this wasn't real, you're a fraud, you're a hypocrite. It's going to be shouting, 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 shouting. Jesus will be whispering. He'll be whispering primarily in two places. Give me your twos. Whispering in two places. First, in his word, in the scriptures. Friends, the, the Bible is our book as Catholics. Raise your hand if you have a Bible. Good. If you don't have a Bible, find a grandma somewhere. Could be your grandma, someone else's grandma. Just tell them you don't have a Bible, and I promise you you'll have a Bible. Okay? And you can also tell them that I love chocolate chip cookies, and my address is 260 Broad Street, Wadsworth, Ohio. Okay? Just saying. The Bible is our book as Catholics, amen? Yes. And we don't spend enough time with it. It was, it was origin of Alexandria, one of the church fathers who said, we are meant to reverence every word of the sacred scripture like we reverence every crumb of the consecrated host. Like we would be heartbroken and scandalized and devastated if, if the Eucharistic host were to fracture and break and fall to the ground. We're to reverence every word 
of the scripture, like we reverence every crumb of the consecrated host. Friends, this whole week you've been spending time diving into Lectio Divina, this practice of listening to the Father speak. And so many of you have heard the Lord speak this week. Raise your hand if you heard the Lord speak to you this week. Parents, keep your hands up. Parents, look. This is real. Camera people, I'm walking over here. Okay, all right. (laughs) Keep your hands up, keep your hands up, keep your hands up. This is what you hope for. This is why you have your kids baptized. This is why you send them to Catholic schools. This is why you send them here. You have no idea. You have no idea what to do at the beginning, right? They don't send you home with a manual, what to do with this baby. You do the best you can. And when it comes to practicing the faith, you just do the best you can, but you don't really know what you're doing all the time. So you enlist the church to help you. And look, your kids heard the Lord's voice. They're learning to hear his voice. If you have no idea what that means, I want you to ask them. Teach me whatever it is to do that you did. Because look, like, the church cannot exist if we don't encounter Jesus. It just won't. To be a Catholic, to be a disciple, is to not be someone who simply signs up for the faith. You can't be a disciple by being born into a Catholic family. Being a Christian is a result of an encounter with a person Your kids are starting to learn how to hear his voice. This is the most important thing. And I beg of you, don't be the birds that land on the path that take the seed away. You've got to be the fertile soil. You and your families have got to be the fertile soil for this because the enemy hates this. He hates this. Because this is what will change the world. Saints change the world. Not politicians, not ideas. Saints change the world. When you had them baptized, you said, I want you to be a saint. Please, for the sake of their hearts, be the fertile soil for them. Will you do that? Will you do that? Will you do that? Good, you're following them. So, and the second place where the whisper is waiting for you is, of course, in Jesus, present in every tabernacle, in every church around the world. I said it earlier in the week, but next to every tabernacle, there's a sanctuary light right, usually that red candle. The church is very specific about a few things, that that candle always has to be a real flame. Can't be like a light bulb. It's got to be a real flame. A living flame is what the church documents say because it's giving a witness that in the tabernacle is a living heart. The flame is alive because the Eucharist is alive. The flame is alive because the Eucharist is alive. Friends, when you go home, 
and you sit in front of Jesus, whether it's in a blessed sacrament chapel, whether it's when you're at mass, whether it's just adoring the Lord after mass, he's in there. He's waiting for you. That's what Jesus tells us that he's like. The Father stands and looks at the horizon every day, waiting for his prodigal son to come home. He doesn't stand there with his arms folded, tapping his toe, waiting for his wayward kids to come home so he can scold them. The father looks at the horizon every single day, hoping that this is going to be the day that his sons and daughters come home, they come back to him. After mass, linger, wait, pause, and listen for the whisper. He's whispering, I love you, and I believe in you, and I have a plan for you. I have a future for you full of hope and power. I have so much for you. You are not the sum of your faults and failures. You're the sum of my love for you. You're capable of more than you know. We have to listen for the whisper. Let us pause now in the silence. As God speaks in the silence, everything in nature grows in silence. Let's listen to the Lord for a few moments whispering his words of love to us. Amen.